Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 691 for release on Sunday, May 22nd, 2022. On the program today, the Voice of America relay station at Tinang in the Philippines, a tribute to Ulrich Chip of Radio Prague, and our Australian DX report from Bob Padula. The first three VOA Voice of America relay stations in the Philippine Islands were installed consecutively as follows. In a country area near Manila, followed by Malalos and then Poro. The fourth VOA relay station in this sequence in the Philippines is the large and powerful station that is located at Tenang, some 50 miles north of the national capital Manila on the main island of Luzon. All aspects of construction for the new Tenang station were collectively identified as Project Bamboo. Here's more on that now from Ray Robinson at KVOH. Thanks, Jeff. In March 1965, VOA announced that work had begun at Tinang in the Philippines for a huge new shortwave station that was planned to contain 13 transmitters and 39 antenna systems. When fully operational, the new VOA Tinang would become the only VOA shortwave station in the Philippines, and thus the usage of Poro and Malolos would be discontinued. In the local Tagalog language, the name Barangay Tinang would indicate a small and probably unimportant village named in honour of a girl called Tina. In Tagalog, Tinang is a diminutive and friendly form of a girl's name, Tina, indicating affection and friendship. Preparatory work on the large and highly significant VOA property at Tinang in the Philippines, measuring approximately three and a half square miles, began in 1966, and plans were laid for the preliminary arrival of a mobile shortwave station that was specially built in the United States for installation at Tinang. The station was built to use incoming commercial electrical power with on-site emergency generators that could also maintain some of the transmitters on air at a lower power level. That mobile VOA relay station was identified as Transportable 2, and it was assembled by the Gates Company in Quincy, Illinois, with three shortwave transmitters rated at 50 kilowatts each. Test broadcasts from Transportable 2 at Tinang began in May 1968, and the three units were taken into full service six months later, in November 1968. These three transmitters were identified in VOA terminology in their scheduling bulletins under the abbreviation PHX. In the meantime, preparations continued for the installation at Tinang of 10 high-powered 250-kilowatt transmitters, which were being built by the Hughes Aircraft Company in Los Angeles, California. The first of these new units was activated on May 4, 1969. Then two months later, on July 1st, 1969, the first three of these mega-transmitters were officially taken into regular service and the usage of VOA Malolos was ended. The regular high-powered transmitters at Tinang are identified in VOA terminology as PHT. 
They were noted on air quite early in both New Zealand and Australia. Thirteen years later, in 1982, two additional transmitters at 250 kilowatts each from the Brown Bovary Company in Switzerland were installed at the Tinang VOA relay station. On June the 9th, 1991, the nearby volcanic Mount Pinatubo exploded, and it was described as the second largest volcanic upheaval for the entire century. The massive pyroclastic upheaval sent 10 billion tons of ash debris and gas 28 miles high into the sky, the effects of which were felt worldwide. Volcanic ash deposits in the valleys around Pinatubo were more than 600 feet deep, and satellites tracked the ash cloud around the globe several times. Due to the horrendous effects from the super-explosion from Mount Pinatubo, VOA Tinang had to be shut down temporarily. No commercial electricity was coming in, and they were unable to use their own generators due to the ash downfall. However, the shortwave service from VOA Poro was not affected, and neither was the shortwave programming from the prominent Christian gospel station FEBC, the Far Eastern Broadcasting Company. However, eight years later, VOA Poro was finally closed, leaving only VOA Tinang still on the air, and it remains on the air to this day, now with nine 250-kilowatt transmitters. The VOA receiver station in the Philippines was installed on 80 acres of land in the Camp John Hay Air Base at Baguio, 166 miles north of Metro Manila. This location was originally established as an American army base in 1903. On December 8, 1941, Camp John Hay was bombed by the Japanese Air Force, and three weeks later it was taken over by the Japanese Army. However, the American return invasion reclaimed the encampment in April 1945. The VOA receiver station was installed at Camp John Hay in 1964 at what had formerly been a tourist location, and it had four receiving antennas. A total of five programme circuits were available, allowing the simultaneous processing of 25 programmes being relayed from the United States. In 1991, satellite relays of VOA programming from Washington, D.C. replaced the usage of shortwave communication for programme feeds, and the shortwave receiving station location was then turned over to the Philippine government for development as a tourist resort. Back to you, Jeff. Thanks very much, Ray Robinson, out at KVOH in Los Angeles. Well, we have a note from Antonio Avellino of the Dequis Club Sem Fronteiras in Brazil about the fourth national meeting of DXers and radio listeners. It's going to be held in what, next year, 2023. The International Radio Listening Club de Gis Clubes en Fronteras invites all DXers, radio listeners, radio amateurs, and the general population to participate in the fourth national meeting of Brazilian DXers and radio listeners. The meeting will be held on March 10th, 11th, and 12th, of next year, 2023, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Hotel Maisa, located at Rua Teofilo Diaz, number 93, in the Bairro Mauricio de Nassau, in the city of Caruaru, in the state of Pernambuco, Brazil. The meeting will have conferences and roundtables. An amateur radio station will be set up at the meeting, station PY7EEL, 
gift giveaways. The organizers are Antonio Avellino and Elias Lemos. And uh, if you want more information, I know it's early, but uh, it's never too early to start planning. The email for more information is Antonio ADX. That's A-N-T-O-N-I-O-A-D-X at yahoo.com.br. Again, Antonio ADX at yahoo.com.br. And if you want to go to the club's website, it is www.djsclubesemfronteras.com. Let me spell that for you. www.dx c-l-u-b-e-s-e-m-f-r-o-n-t-e-i-r-a-s.com. Well, last week we mentioned Jonathan Marks's media network, Vintage Vault, that can be ex- accessed on the web now. Well, today we want to present an excerpt from one of his new videos dedicated to the late Ulrich Chip of Radio Prague, former chairman of the High Frequency Coordination Conference. Here's the beginning of that documentary. Hello and welcome to a new edition of Media Network. This one is dedicated to the memory of Ulrich Cheap, an engineer who played an important role in helping Radio Free Prague to be heard internationally when the Warsaw Pact troops invaded Czechoslovakia in August 1968. In 2009... I was fortunate to meet up with Ulrich, and he shared several stories which I don't believe have been told elsewhere. But I'm getting ahead of myself. In August 1988, Radio Netherlands broadcast a special series of programs to mark the 20th anniversary of the invasion. At that time, the country was still under communist rule, and there was no internet or YouTube to conduct research. But I did have a copy of a 45 RPM propaganda record issued by Radio Prague recalling how the Russians saved the Czechs from the Nazis during the Second World War. And in the Dutch NOS sound archives were all kinds of off-air recordings filed by Dutch correspondents who'd been in Prague covering an agricultural conference just before the Russians arrived. But to understand the context, I went to Rotterdam to speak with a Czech writer in exile, Jana Baranova. She helped me compare the times when Russians had been the liberators and then the aggressors. So let's listen to an extract from that Media Network radio documentary, after which I'll explain my follow-up trips to Prague. If you listen to the radio, and in particular a shortwave radio, there's no telling what you might hear, especially during a time of crisis. We recently collected recordings of Radio Prague, Czechoslovakia, from two dramatic periods in that country's history. Its geographical position has always made Czechoslovakia open to invasion from larger neighbours. It's curious in this story how Liberator changes into aggressor. But first, let's turn the clock back to June 1942. Radio Prague, like many other national radio services in occupied Europe, was under the control of Goebbels' propaganda machine. Im Zuge der Verhandlungen nach den Mördern des SS-Obergruppenführers Heydrich wurden einwandfreie Hinweise dafür gefunden, dass die Bevölkerung der Ortschaft Lidiz bei Kladno 
dem in Frage kommenden Täterkreis Unterstützung und Hilfe leistete. In the course of the search for the murderers of Obergruppenführer Heidrich, incontestable proof was found that the population of Ligitze in Jekladno had given support and assistance to the perpetrators of the crime. Das Standgericht Prag hat mit Urteil vom 5.6.1942... Many Czechoslovaks were simply rounded up at random and executed to retaliate any Nazi officers who were killed. Then, on May the 5th, 1945, at 12.37 in the afternoon, members of Radio Prague managed to free themselves of their German masters and broadcast a message to the nation. Czech radio calling for help. We are calling all Czechs urgently to come to the aid of the radio station. People are dying here. The Germans are shooting us. That broadcast sparked off a nationwide revolt against the Germans. From the besieged radio station, the battle spread to the streets of Prague. Hold out, cried the announcers at Radio Prague. They used a captured tank to prevent the Germans from cutting the studio cable to the transmitter site. Battles went on outside and inside the radio building, the German SS gradually being forced down into the cellar. Czech firemen turned on their hoses to flood the basement. At the close of Saturday, May the 5th, the broadcasting house in Prague was back in Czechoslovak hands. But the next day, the Germans started bombing the broadcasting house. The bombing run made the broadcasters move rapidly into the basement. From a makeshift studio in the cellar, an escaped Scottish prisoner of war helped broadcast a message in English to the West. Prague is in great danger. The Germans are attacking with tanks and planes. We are calling urgently our allies to help. Send immediately tanks and aircraft. Help us defend Prague. At present, we are broadcasting from the broadcasting station and outside there is a battle raging. At 17.40 on the Sunday afternoon, a German Luftwaffe aerial raid succeeded in knocking out broadcasting house in Prague. 80 minutes later, broadcasts resumed from a makeshift studio behind the altar at a nearby Protestant church. Technicians had been prepared for such an occasion, and transmissions resumed on 723 kHz medium wave. Broadcasts went out to the Soviet Red Army too. This is Prague calling the Red Army. Large numbers of German troops are attacking Prague with tanks and planes. The beginning of Jonathan Marx's documentary dedicated to the memory of Ulrich Chip of Radio Prague. We'll have more of that documentary on a future edition of WaveScan. And if you want to see a lot of programs on the media network Vintage Vault, you can find it on the web at Jonathan Marks, I'll spell that in a moment, jonathanmarks.lib, as in borough, syn.com. Jonathan Marks, altogether, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-M-A-R-K-S, dot L-I-B, as in Bolivia, syn.com. Now it's over to Bob Padula in Melbourne. 
Welcome to another edition of the Australian DX Report. This is Bob Padula in Melbourne, Australia, bringing to you our latest roundup of news concerning shortwave broadcasting stations around the world. We include information concerning propagation reports, monitoring information, solar activity news, schedule information and other items of interest to shortwave monitoring enthusiasts. A reminder that all times we give in these programs are in UTC, also known as GMT, and all frequencies are in kilohertz. Full detail QSL cards are available for correct reception reports received for the Australian DX report. The address will be given at the end of the program. So now, here is this week's news. First up this time we have some information concerning a possible boost to Australian shortwave broadcasting to Indo-Pacific. The Australian elections are happening later in May and the Labor Party, currently in opposition, has indicated that it would be prepared to expand Australian broadcasting in both the Pacific and the broader Indo-Pacific. Partly by boosting the ABC's international programming budget by more than 30 million Australian dollars over the next four years. This is an extract of the report which the ABC broadcast recently concerning the possible boost to Australian shortwave broadcasting. Labor would also explore potentially restoring Australian shortwave radio broadcasting to the Pacific under the plan. The Australian Labor Party has repeatedly criticised the ABC's decision to cut shortwave transmissions into northern Australia and the Pacific in 2017, particularly after it was revealed a Chinese radio station had taken over some of the frequencies once used by the national broadcaster. Finally, Labor is foreshadowing an increase in maritime surveillance in the Pacific to help the region tackle illegal fishing and other other transnational crime. So, that's the story about the possible boost to Radio Australia or the possible reintroduction of shortwave broadcasts from Radio Australia to the Indochina, Indonesian area, Pacific area and Asia and into Outback Australia. And that was from the ABC News and now some information concerning solar activity, particularly in regards to solar flares. Latest information is that the solar wind speed is expected to be at mildly elevated levels over the next few days due to coronal hole effects, with further enhancements due to the impending CME impact which was due on late 29 April. Geomagnetic conditions are expected with a chance of G2 conditions. The aurora may be visible during the local night, that's 29 April, in southern Australia, particularly in Tasmania, and the southern regions of Victoria and Western Australia. 
High frequency radio communications are expected to be normal to slightly enhanced, although there is the possibility of shortwave radio fade-outs. And that information came from the Australian Government, Bureau of Meteorology, Space Weather Services. So there may be further blackouts. More information now concerning space weather. Earlier in April, that's this year, the Earth's magnetic field was supposed to be quiet. But on April 10th, instead of a strong geomagnetic storm, geomagnetic storm broke out. At the apex of the disturbance, auroras crossed the Canadian border into multiple northern US states. There's been some interesting time-lapse movies shown on the internet about this event. And one reporter mentioned that we don't get to see the auroral all that often in New Hampshire, but this solar cycle so far has been fantastic. What caused the storm? The prime suspect is a canyon of fire, CME, which hit the Earth's magnetic field on April 8. The impact was weak at first, and it seemed to have little effect. Geomagnetic in unrest increased on April 9, as Earth passed into the CME's strongly magnetised wake. The arrival of an unrelated solar wind stream on April 10 tipped conditions into the G3 category storming. And now some information from our European monitors, courtesy of the SWL DX Bulgaria newsletter. This mainly concerns reception in Eastern Europe of various shortwave transmissions during the daylight period. First of all, very strong signal of radio DARC on 6070 via Moosbrunn, that's the relay station in Austria. Daylight reception between 1000 and 1100. German, non-directional to Central Europe, 100 kilowatts. And a station known as Preparing for Jesus in Japanese heard on 5945 by the relay station at Tashkent in Uzbekistan. 1300 to 1400, 100 kilowatts, and the antenna 066 degrees to Japan. And the Bible Voice Broadcasting Station on 11900 heard in Eastern Europe by the now in Germany relay station 1430-1500 through Southern Asia in English on Saturdays 250 kilowatts and the antenna is 102 degrees and also on 12, between 1200 and 1300 on 6240 from the Tashkent relay station in Uzbekistan Urdu to Southern Asia 100 kilowatts and the antenna 131 degrees and HCJB the slogan of the voice of the Andes in Russian and Chechen languages on 9500 heard in Eastern Europe by the Nauen transmitting station in Germany 1529 to 1629 to Central Asia in Russian and Chechen Chechen I think it's pronounced 100 kilowatts and the antenna 100 degrees and Adventist World Radio, broadcasting from the Nauen Relay Station in Germany 
on 9610. 10-1100 to Southern Europe in Italian on Sundays. 125 kilowatts transmitter and 180 degrees 180 degrees antenna. Reception of Radio Prague in Germany in German on 6030. Noted until 10 between 1000 and 1100 to Central Europe in German. We hope you found the broadcast interesting and helpful for your shortwave radio monitoring. Just a reminder that full detail ADXR QSL cards are available by contacting this address. The URL is simply adxr.org. Give it once again adxr.org. At that address you'll find all the details about how you may send in a reception report and you can receive a QSL card via postal mail, that's physical postal mail, or via the internet. So until our next program, this is Bob in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Wishing you all good listening and thanks for being with us. Goodbye for now. Thank you, Bob. And we end Wayscan today with some music. I'm not sure we've ever featured this genre of music on the program before. It's the bolero, which is a romantic song from Latin America or Spain. And it was sent to us, this one was, by Larry Cohen, our listener in Utica, New York, who says, in case any of you have forgotten, this is what music really is. This is Carlos Cuevas from Mexico and his bolero called Usted. Or you. Well, thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, Cincinnati's famous medium wave station, WLW, celebrates 100 years and our Indian DX report as well. Several QSL cards are available for this program. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports to the AWR address in Thailand. Stand by for that. And also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry WaveScan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air. Here in the program, they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is qsl at awr.org. The postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio. P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, spelled P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. 
And the email address for other correspondence to Wavescan, not reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone. Me <laughs> 